All right, so I heard the story of a guy who met a lady, and he liked her. And so he starts trying to date her. And this lady had kids from a previous relationship. So the lady is talking to the guy, and they're saying, let's go on a hike. Let's go on a nice picnic hike and go see the sunset. And the guy says, you should bring your kids. I've never met them. And the, the lady, she says, you know, I'd love to bring my kids, but my son, um, he hurt himself and he can't walk right now. So, you know, I, I just don't think it'd be a good idea for us to go on this hike. And the guy trying to impress the girl, he's like, you know what? I've got this. Bring him along. I'll give him a piggyback ride the entire time. And the, the girl's freaking out. She's like, thank you so much. You're so sweet. So then he shows up to the hike and he's like, where's your son? And she points over to this 20-year-old guy who weighs like 200 pounds. <laughs> That's the son. So, yes, it can be dangerous if you don't understand something's weight is the point of that story. And it's a stupid story that I made up. Thank you. Today's message is called The Weight of Glory. And I think as believers, we need to understand what it means. What is glory? What is the weight of glory? And today we're just looking at a few verses. John chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. Here's what's going on in the story. What's that mysterious singing? Oh, is that junior high? I thought someone in here was like humming some crazy tune. Okay. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Here's what's going on in the story. Jesus is with his disciples, and Jesus is in the upper room, and he's with them, and he's telling them what's going to happen. He says, guys, it's almost time for me to die. It's almost time for my life to be over. I'm going to the cross for you. And so in that moment, he prays for his disciples. And here's what we get in verse 1. Through five. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. It's this prayer Jesus gives to his Father. And we're going to actually go through this whole prayer over the next week or so, but we're just looking at the first five verses in the introduction to his prayer. He says, glorify your son, that your son might glorify you. I think glorify or glory is kind of, it's like a churchy word, like holy, righteous, justice. I taught in the sanctuary last week on justice. They're churchy words, and it's easy, I don't know, for, at least for me, it's, it's easy for all these words to kind of blend together, like for me to kind of go, I mean, isn't holiness and righteousness and glory, like isn't it all kind of just the same thing? Well, today we're going to look at glory. When when someone says something is glorious or something's full of glory, like, what do you guys think of? Anybody? Yeah. What was that? Like, <laughs> what's something that you would describe as glorious? Anybody? Burritos. Burritos are so glorious, right? Anything else? Sushi. Okay, a lot of foods. I think... I think sometimes people might think a sunrise is glorious, or I think my wife is glorious. Um, a newborn child or the Grand Canyon, there's all these things that we would call glorious. So, like, what does that word glorious even mean to us? I think a lot of times we think of it as, like, something that's amazing or wonderful. So in John chapter 17, what is glorious? What's going on? Jesus says, the Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. What hour is it? It's the hour of the cross, 
And there's been many times where Jesus has said before that it's not the time yet, it's not the hour. Uh, in chapter two of the book of John, Mary is at a wedding with Jesus and they run out of wine. And Mary says, Jesus, you've gotta make some more wine. And Jesus goes, my hour has not come yet. I don't want people to know that I have these powers because they'll kill me and I've got stuff to do. In John chapter seven through eight, Jesus is almost killed by a crowd, but he slips away because the scripture says his hour had not yet come. But in John chapter 13, a few chapters ago, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and he says, my hour is at hand. He says, I will die and the Father's gonna be glorified. Now, again, these churchy words like, can be confusing, honestly. Like, I'm gonna die and my Father would be glorified. That's a weird thing to say. Like, wouldn't it be weird if like, you were talking to your friend and your friend was like, yeah, I'm gonna die and it's totally gonna glorify my Father. You'd be like, that's very strange. What does that even mean? So I think we need to look at what the word glory actually means. Glory is one of the most common words in scripture, and it comes from this Hebrew word called kavod. I know there's a B, but it's pronounced kavod, okay? Here's what the word glory means in Hebrew. Weight or heaviness, something that is weighty or something that's heavy. So think of it as like you're at the gym, and you get a weight that's even weightier and heavier than you've ever lifted before. That's where you're like, oh, kavod, glory, or you go and see a sad movie, and there's just this, like, I, oh, man, The Force Awakens. Uh, has anyone not seen that? Uh, do you care if I spoil it? Okay. Oh, what? Okay. Anyway, we'll talk about it later, because you need to repent. So Han Solo comes back, and he's standing on this dramatic bridge, and he's talking to his son, Kylo Ren, who has turned to the dark side. And just they're standing on the bridge and he's pleading with the son, son, come back to the light side. You can change. You don't have to be a Sith Lord. You don't have to follow in Darth Vader's footsteps. And his son looks like he's going to turn to the light side. And he says, father, come close. And Han Solo comes close. And it looks like he's going to give him a hug. But instead, he stabs him with his lightsaber. And he falls to his death. And Chewbacca screams. And the music goes all crazy. And everyone starts shooting one another. And in that moment, when I saw that movie, I was like, oh, kavod, heavy. Oh, I feel so heavy. It's, it's glorious. It's beautiful in a way, but it's heavy. Um, you know, a giant wave. For those of you guys who surf, you look at it and you go, oh, glory, kavod. It's, it's this heaviness. You know, another word or another meaning for kavod would be important, something that's full of honor, something that's full of majesty. Um, I think uh, a definition that I kind of came up with um, would be good, which is Something that holds weight because of its unmatchable beauty, importance, or power. Now, I found on BuzzFeed this article called um, uh, Photos That'll Make You Feel Insignificant. So I'm going to pull these up. Here's a picture of Earth from space. Looking at our life now and then looking at Earth from space, it, it just gives you this sense of heaviness where you feel small and you realize how glorious the world is. Here's a picture of a partial solar eclipse and we've got this burning sun. It's just, it's, it's fantastic, it's glorious. Here's another picture of the core of a helix nebula. Uh, a nebula is all the layers of dust, gases, and plasma that are emitted when a star dies. It's just, oh, it's glorious, it's kavod, it's heaviness. And then here is a mystic mountain, which is not an actual mountain. It is a tower of gas and dust in a nebula, which is 7,500 light years from Earth. It's craziness. You know, 
to bring it down from this big scale to just like things that we can understand in our life, um, I was listening to a pastor describe glory, and he was talking about, you know, glory is that feeling that you get, that beautiful, majestic feeling when you are involved in a sports team that always loses, but then that big game comes, the one everyone's counting on, and you're almost not even expecting to win, but somehow in the last minute, you pull through, and you score, and you get the points, and the crowd is cheering, and it's just, it's like this movie moment. That's that feeling of glory. It's this heavy, beautiful, impactful moment. And you know, a lot of times, guys, we can fall short of seeing glory. We can fall short of appreciating God's glory. We can take it for granted. Often, we fail to see the weight of glory. You know, I remember um, growing up, and some of you counselors possibly who are closer to my age, you might have remembered when September 11th happened. And the planes flew into the two towers and, and hit them, and the explosion happened. I just remember watching it. I didn't see it live. My parents saw it, and then I saw the replays on TV, but I knew it had just happened hours ago. And I saw that just... So many people died in that moment. And I just, I felt this feeling of weight and heaviness, just this sadness and this sorrow. It wasn't the weight of glory when I saw the two towers fall, but it was the weight of tragedy and death. But I remember uh, when Paul Prelly and I were doing the junior high group just next door, um, we showed a video of September 11th. Um, I, Paul did it. I can't remember why he did it, but we, we pulled it up because he was trying to make some point with it. And, and as the planes flew into the towers and exploded, I just remember seeing a group of junior high boys just laughing and going, oh, that's so cool, those explosions. Because they didn't know what this video clip was and they, they didn't know what September 11th was, there was no weight to it. There was no, there was no kavod. There was no feeling of like, oh, this is heavy. It was just something to laugh at. And you know, a lot of times we fail to see the weight of the cross and the weight of the glory of the Lord. You know, the Roman government was the only one at the time of Jesus' day that did crucifixion. Why did they do crucifixion? Who got crucified? It wasn't criminals. It was actually political criminals, not just normal criminals, not just thieves, not just robbers. It was people that the Roman government said, this person is a threat. They're going to overthrow our government. And they saw Jesus as a political criminal, someone who was a threat to the kingdom of Rome. And so crucifixion was a way to humiliate and destroy someone who was a revolutionary. It was a way to beat them, strip them, weaken them, laugh at them. It was Rome's way of showing who is boss. And it's crazy that Jesus, knowing he's about to go to the cross and be stripped and beaten and humiliated, he prays, Lord, the hour has come. Glorify your son. How strange is that? Like glorified by being tortured, humiliated, glorified by being destroyed. That's not glory. That's horrible. That, that's humiliation. So how do we get that? He says, glorify the son, that the son might glorify the father. What, what happened on the cross? There's, most of you guys here in the room, you've been Christians a long time. There may be some of you guys here who haven't been Christians a long time. But we have to ask these questions. You know, what happened on the cross? We all know. Jesus was crucified. Who killed him? Who killed Jesus? A simpler question is, did it hurt to be crucified? Was there pain? Did it hurt a lot to be crucified? Would you call it agony? to be on the cross, just this excruciating, agonizing pain. I, I would absolutely call it agony. Some people might say, when told, you know, 
because what people say sometimes is, you know, you ask the question, who killed Jesus? Well, we did. We killed Jesus. And some people will respond to that with saying, well, I wasn't there. That was a long time ago. I didn't kill Jesus. I didn't put the nails in his hands. But the reality is he was there because of your sin and my sin. And I'm convinced that the currency of pain is sin. I've been a pastor for not a long time, but in my short time as a pastor and then in my 12 years of youth ministry, I've seen that lies, betrayal, gossip, and insults hurt people so much. When I was working here at the school, I would just go through times where I would see people just hurting one another so much with their lies and gossip. The currency of pain is sin. And anytime there's sin, there's pain, and someone will pay the price. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. He was saying, I'm sick and tired of what the pain of sin is doing to my people. I am going to pay the price for them. He who knew no sin was made sin. He took our pain to himself, even though he didn't have to. It was agony. It was heavy. It was kavod. It was glorious, and it was horrible at the same time. Who killed Jesus we did. We did. Because without our sin, and yes, Jesus died in the past, but the Lord saw into the future and he saw our sins. It was our sin was the reason he had to go to a bloody, violent death where his beard was ripped out of his face, where a crown of thorns was shoved into his skull, piercing it and causing blood to trickle down his face. I can't even stand a bloody nose. Can you imagine just blood pouring down from your forehead into your eyes and into your mouth? He was beaten with a cat of nine tails, which is this whip with glass tied into the ends, just ripping his back completely off. He was nailed to a cross through his wrists and through his ankles together, and he was forced up onto a wooden cross made to suffer and literally suffocate. Like, I can't even do one, like, pull-up on a pull-up bar. Jesus had to hang there and suffocate and pull himself up to get a breath and then sink back down, and every time he sank back down, those nails just dug into his wrists. We need to understand the weight of the cross, but oftentimes we don't understand the weight. We don't think about it. There's no weight to us because we've all heard the crucifixion story so many times. It becomes just white noise to us. It becomes something that we don't care about. We're interested in other Bible studies, but anytime someone preaches on the cross, it's just kind of like, yeah, I hear this a Good Friday every year. Here's a suggestion. As followers of Christ, we have to realize that if the only way we can feel the weight of Jesus' sacrifice is by watching the movie The Passion and crying about it, something is fundamentally wrong with our hearts. Why did the disciples cry when Jesus hung on the cross? Because their friend was being crucified. If your friend, your best friend, was crucified, would you cry? I absolutely would. When was the last time we were moved to tears by the gospel. When was the last time that thinking about what Jesus did for us moved us to tears? You know, there's a, there's a statement that comedians make called tragedy plus time equals comedy. And um, the way that kind of plays out is, you know, September 11th, it was too soon. So if someone laughs at that, it's like, that's really insensitive. You shouldn't do that. But it's, I'm kind of hypocritical because I've made jokes about the Titanic. And so many people died in the Titanic, but it happened such a long time ago. It's just kind of like, eh, it's just a story. Jesus' death happened 2,000 years ago. And here's the reality. People, because it happened such a long time ago, they make fun of it. 
I remember uh, growing up and when the TV show Family Guy first came out, I started to watch that a little bit. And so many of you guys watched that show. It's still on. Um, I just remember uh, being shocked at one point when they started making fun of Jesus and the cross. And, and I've seen that trend so many times uh, in media and, and, and people in, in TV shows and comics and movies and, and just making fun of Jesus and even musicians trying to uh, say that they are like Jesus and have pictures of them and the cross. It's just, guys, uh, to me, I, I want to tell you that the, the cross needs to be precious to us. The cross needs to be something that we hold on to, that we don't take lightly, that if people make fun of, we don't laugh along with them, but we grieve because the cross is precious. And the cross is amazing, the cross of Christ, because the, the cross was the number one death symbol at the time. If you saw a cross, you only thought of death. It'd be like if you saw someone wearing a necklace of an electric chair around their neck, you'd be like, what is that? That's so strange. But we wear necklaces of crosses around our necks. It was a torture death device, but it's amazing that the most evil death device symbol became a symbol of hope for the people of Jesus. Nothing compares to the terrible beauty of the cross. It's heavy. We need to glorify the Son on the cross in our heart. But I want to ask the question, did God want this to happen Did God want Jesus to die on the cross? Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. Who killed Jesus? It says there in Isaiah, it was the Lord's will to crush him. Verses like that would always trip me out. What does that mean? Like, God the Father wanted to crush his son on the cross? Like, is, it, is this cosmic child abuse? What is this? There's a story that I've he- heard people tell about um, this father and son, and the father worked at a train yard. Have you guys heard this story, the train illustration? The father works at a train yard, and he's got this son, and he brings him with him, and the son starts playing in um, the control room. And um, he's down where the gears are, and he's playing on the gears, And the father is watching the train tracks, and he realizes that this train is about to go off the cliff. So there was a mistake. There was uh, two different tracks, and one was broken. And so the father's freaking out. He's like, oh, my gosh, I've got to save these people. So he goes to the switch to throw the switch and uh, change the track that the train is going on to save them. But then he realizes his son, he hears his son, father, I'm stuck. And he looks down, his son is stuck in the gears, He's like caught in between the gears and the father realizes if he pulls the lever to save that train full of people, he's gonna crush his son. And his son's like, father, save me. And the people on the train don't even know that they're about to die. And the father's like, what do I do? What do I do? And like with tears in his eyes, he pulls the lever and crushes his son to save the train full of people. And you know, that can be a good illustration, but, but to me, it leaves a lot out. Because here's the problem. In that story, the, the son had no choice. He was just playing and he got caught. He was just playing in the gears and he got stuck. Here's the reality. This is a better illustration, I think. I think it would be like a father and son who ran a train yard together and there's a train transporting enemies, like prisoners of war, enemies of the father and son, transporting them. And the father and son notice that there's a broken track And the train is speeding towards it, and they will crash and be destroyed if they hit it. 
And so the father and son say, we've got to save them. And the father says, but son, if you go on that train, you'll die. And the son says, I know, but I have to. And so the father and son agree. And while the the father works the controls, the son runs and he jumps on the moving train and he opens the doors and he starts getting people off. And then the son is the one who goes to destruction and he crashes and burns. But he knew all along. The son had the choice. The father had the choice. And they made it together. That's what happened. The cross was a partnership between the father and son, and it's heavy. It's, it's agonizing. It's, it's heavy. In the Bible, it talks about why did Jesus have to die? And I've, I've heard a lot, uh, it gets thrown out, and it's in some of our songs, this idea of the wrath of God needs to be satisfied. Has anyone ever heard of that? Like on the cross, when Jesus died, the wrath of God is satisfied. Has anyone ever wondered what that means? Anybody? No? Everyone just knows what that means? Raise your hand if you just, you know exactly what that means. Okay, so no one knows and no one cares and no one's ever thought of it and everyone knows, but no one knows. Okay, cool. What's the wrath of God? The wrath of God is God's anger towards anything that hurts his creation. I heard uh, this pastor named uh, Gary Bershares who was telling this story of, you know, he was an adopted father And he adopts this daughter, and he raises her. But before he adopted her, when she was really young, she grew up in an abusive home. And even into her late teenage years, um, when she was living in their home, she would have these nightmares, just nightmares about the terrible things that happened to her when when she was abused. And so her adopted father, Gary, would come into her room, and he'd sit with her, and he'd pray with her, and he'd comfort her. But in those moments, he got angry. Not at her, but at the abuse that happened to her in her past. Wrath is its righteous anger towards evil. Does the father get angry when his children are abused? Yes. Does the son? Yes. You need to know that God loves you and anything that has been done to you that's wrong, God looks at that and he hates that because he loves you. The father and son partnered together to allow Jesus to be crushed on the cross for the sins of the world. And it's heavy, but it's a good weight. It's an anchor for the soul, guys. Seriously. Like, knowing what Jesus did for me, knowing that he loved me enough to die for me, it anchors my heart and soul. And our youth group is called Hope's Anchor. Not because anchors are trendy, but because Jesus is the anchor of our soul. When so many things drift us out into sea, when so many cares of the world, when so many trials and tribulations and temptations and problems sweep us out, Jesus is the one we can hold on to. And because of his heaviness and his weightiness, he keeps us from drifting away. And I love you guys. I really do. Every single one of you. Even though some of you guys I don't know that well, I really, truly love you, and I'm glad that you're here. I truly believe this message is a message that God has for this specific youth group. So if you're not listening, please pay attention. I think God has a message for this youth group, which is start taking Jesus seriously. Some of you in this room may possibly be following Jesus to make your parents happy, to stay out of trouble, or so you won't go to hell. The Lord is calling you to follow him, not to make your parents happy, not to stay out of trouble, not so that you won't go to hell, but because of who he is and what he's done for you and because you understand the weight of glory, because he deserves your love. 
because you realize you're nothing without him and you realize that you're everything with him. God's word for you today is he is working hard to move you somewhere. Where is that? Let's, let's read on. So look at in John chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 2 through 3 now. Jesus says, Lord, you have given him authority over all flesh. He's talking about himself, the son of God. He's saying, Lord, you've given me authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He wants to give you life. What kind of life? What does he say? He wants to give you, anyone know the word? Eternal life, exactly. What is eternal life? When we think of eternal life, what do we think of? We think of living forever, and we think of the fountain of youth, and we think of trying to search for just immortality and living on forever. But what does God's word say? God's word says, what is eternal life? Well, Jesus says it right there. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. I love this. I mean, yes, don't leave here today thinking eternal life doesn't mean that you won't live forever. You will. If you follow Jesus, you get eternal life. But it's so much more than just living on forever. Jesus says eternal life, true eternal life, is knowing God. Why were Adam and Eve made? Why were Adam and Eve made? Just to live in a garden? No, they were made to be known. They were made to be loved and to be known. Every single one of us has a deep desire in our heart to be loved and to be known. And a lot of times our struggles and our depressions and our anxieties come from feeling like we're not truly loved or not truly known. We feel, if if you're here today and you're struggling because you feel like you'll never get a boyfriend or girlfriend, no one will ever love you, which is what I felt throughout my entire junior high and high school experience, know this. You were created to be known and loved. If you're here today and you're struggling with your friends groups, just feeling like, man, no one truly knows me. Everyone kind of knows who I am, but no one truly knows me. And I want that deep, intimate friendship with someone. Know this, you were made to be known and loved. And I found this beautiful phrase that sums it up. I'm so, I just, I love this. It's so beautiful. So it comes from a song. I'm gonna share the song with you in a second. Um, But I think God is trying to move us from the shade of his hand to the light of his face. I just, I love this so much. From the shade of God's hand to the light of his face. One of my favorite pastors, Josh Wyatt, wrote this awesome song called The Weight of Glory. I'll I'll share it with you guys right now. So he wrote this song, um, Weight of Glory or Flood My Heart. I'll just read read you the lyrics. It goes, flood my heart with your presence until the old me is dead. Resurrect me in your affections. I long for the life you set. Please bring wonder to this weary heart. If you're the goal, then help me start to move from the shade of your hand to the light of your face. And I just remember, I listened to this song and going, that line's so cool. What does that mean? And I started to think of the meaning. So think of this, if, if, if you know, my wife, Brooklyn, is caught in a hailstorm. She's out and, and hail is coming down and it's beating her in the face and just, it, it, she just has no coat, she has no shelter, like she's out in the middle of nowhere. If I step in front of her and I put my arms around her and I put my hands over her face to stop the hail from hitting her, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm shading her with my hand, I'm protecting her. 
And protection is good. Protection is good, but that should never be the end goal to just protect someone in a relationship. I don't want to just, like, wouldn't it be weird if, like, she was out in the storm and, and just, you know, like, oh, someone needs to help me. And I come in. I'm like, oh, I'll help you. And I just wrap my arms around her and just protect her and shade her with my hand. And then the storm stops. And I'm like, all right, bye. And I just take off and leave. No. The, those moments, like those, those romantic moments in a relationship where someone comes in to rescue the other person, the goal is not just the rescuing, it's once the trouble is over, once the storm is over, what I would do to my beautiful wife is I would remove my hand from her face when the sun comes out and I would look into her eyes and I would see her face to face. I wouldn't just be shielding her, now I'm looking at her. That's the goal and I would be blessed by seeing the most beautiful pair of blue eyes in the entire universe, um, and I love looking at them every day. The Lord wants some of you guys to know he desires to move you from the shade of his hand to the light of his face, because there's, there's many of you guys here who you're saved, you're protected by God. He's shading you with his hand, but you're, you're, you're totally content just to stay there. You're just, you're just shaded by his hand, but he wants to move you to the place where you're not only protected by him, but known by him, where he's looking into your eyes and you feel that love. Humanity had been living under the shade of Yahweh's hand, and he longed for them to see his face. There's a story in the Old Testament that totally shows us this picture. So we've got Moses in the book of Exodus. Moses was told that no human being could see the glory. What's that Hebrew word? The kavod of God and survive the encounter. Adam and Eve in the garden, what were they able to experience? The kavod of God, the glory of God. Moses is God's top man, his number one servant, and not even he gets to see the glory. Let's, let's read the, the passage. This is in Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, Moses, and I know you by name. And Moses said, well, then, Lord, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will, I will proclaim my name Yahweh, the Lord, and I will be gracious to who I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. It's heavy. It's gnarly. Moses is the, he's, he's the number one follower of the Lord, and yet he can't even see God's glory because it's so amazing he couldn't live. That desire to see God's glory, that fuels every desire the human heart has that desire for the adrenaline rush, that desire for just more food or, or just more romantic relationship or just a better job or just, just fun and excitement, all of that desire for something more stems from the desire to see the glory of God, which when in the beginning we had and then because of our sin, we've been separated from it. Here's what's amazing. This is the, the glorious weight of the gospel. The main reason Jesus died 
was not to save you from hell. The main reason Jesus died was so that you could be fully known by him. Seriously. Like, yes, he did die to save you from hell. You will be saved from hell, but that's not the focus. And so many times, it's just, that's what it is. Yeah, Jesus died to save him from hell. Moving on. No, you have a hole in your heart that can only be filled by the glory of God, by seeing his face, by experiencing his presence. Listen to this. This is uh, C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. Here is a quote from that book. It's so good. C.S. Lewis says, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some gap that yawns between us and reality is part of our inconsolable secret. And surely from this point of view, the promise of glory in the sense describes becomes highly relevant to our deep desire for glory means Good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of God. The door on which we have been knocking our entire lives will be open at last. Guys, I am excited. Jesus died so you could live, not just survive, but thrive in a relationship with him. The tragedy is that we miss this. For so many young people, Christianity becomes not about living life to be known by God, but instead living life knowing they are safe from hell, but not truly knowing God deeply. Christianity for many young people is about looking good on the outside while hiding deep struggles on the inside. The focus is about appearing good for parents, relatives, and authority figures while feeling like they need to hide the sinful side of themselves from God and loved ones. Guys, the Lord desires intimacy with you. He desires to know you with all your flaws. I was listening to uh, this pastor I enjoy named uh, Dominic Doan. He, he told this hilarious story. So he pastors this big church, and he was trying to uh, be a good pastor and, like, go visit people in their homes. So he knew of um, this family, you know, that he had been telling them he was going to drop by uh, their apartment. So, you know, this husband and wife, this is down in Portland, Oregon. This husband and wife are living in this apartment and he's in the neighborhood and he decides to drop by. So he goes and he goes up to their door <laughs> and um, he just hears behind the door just blasting loud. Um, it's, it's Snoop Dogg, just blasting super, super loud. He's like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. So he knocks on the door um, and he's not thinking anything of it. He's not like, oh, Snoop Dogg, I'm not hanging out with these people. Um, but he wanted to visit them. So he knocks on the door and they say, who is it? And he, they, he goes, oh, it's Pastor Dominic. And the man behind the door says, oh, just one second. And then he hears just like frantic, like running around and like just things being tripped over. And he hears, honey, honey, Pastor Dominic's here. Hide the vodka. Hide the vodka. And then Snoop Dogg gets turned off right away. And the door opens and there's music playing, but it's Hillsong. <laughs> it's like oceans. It's just so funny. But it's totally what we do. We have our church face, you know, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, so good. I mean, yeah, I read my Bible the other day, and the Lord totally showed me something. So good, so good. But in your heart, you, you know that there's sin and struggle. The realness of your life a lot of times is in stark contrast with the fake that we put out in front for other people. Guys, the Lord desires realness with you, intimacy with you, an openness and an honesty about your sin, about your struggles, about your victories, about the things you're excited about, about the things you're terrified about. The Lord can take it. Just be yourself with him. If you're doubting, if you're struggling, you know, if, if you literally just want to sin, 
Let the Lord know that and ask him for help. The Lord looks for an openness and an honesty about your sin and a willingness for you to allow him to change your life. What is life? Life is knowing God. That's what life is. Now, how do we know something's alive? Like this music stand, is it alive? Like if I, like can it think? Can it come up with ideas? Can it reproduce? If I bit it, would it say ouch? No, it's not alive. What about moss? Is moss alive? You guys know what moss is, right? Is moss alive? Yeah, like technically, like it grows on stuff and, you know, it reproduces. But like, can it have intelligent thought? Can it invent supercomputers? Like, can it? No. I mean, so it's, it's alive. It's kind of alive. What about a poodle? I like how it says the poodle of glory. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> is a poodle alive? Yeah, it's alive, and it can reproduce, and it kind of is like the master of its environment, but it can't really have deep thought. You can't really have a deep relation. You can have a surfacey relationship with a poodle, but not really a deep one. What about a human being? Is she alive, this, this lady on the screen? Yeah, she's very much alive. She can reproduce. She's got a kid right there. She can think. She can have thought. So obviously, there's different levels. A music stand, not alive. Moss, uh, yeah, kind of alive. Uh, poodle, even more alive. And then human, like very much alive. You know, I think when Jesus is talking about in the passage, how he's saying that God wants to give you eternal life, he's saying that life, true life, is knowing God and being known by him. So unless you know Jesus today, truly know him. Unless you're living your life seeking Jesus, you're not truly living. Like you could be here today and maybe you're saved, but you're dead in the spirit. You're alive. You're, as, you're about as alive as a poodle, but God wants to get you to the point where you're a human in his eyes. Unless you know God the Father, you, yeah, you're alive. You're a human being, but there's a whole dimension to life that you're missing out on. And I could say more on that, but I'll let you guys talk about that in small groups. We need to wrap up. So I think one of the last things we can talk about today is how God wants to bring us to wonder. He wants to give us a state of wonder. My buddy Trevor Clark talks about this a lot. You've gotten up here and you shared about your thoughts on this. And I, just, I love what you had to say, just this idea of like we were made for wonder, like, God made us. Man, I mean, I can't even describe what I'm trying to say, so I'll let um, this crazy creature, Red Fraggle, tell you about it. Has anyone ever seen Fraggle Rock? Yes, we will be best friends now. Okay, who knows the Muppets in Sesame Street? Anybody? Yeah, okay. So Jim Henson, my hero, God rest his soul, um, the late Jim Henson, he created a show called Fraggle Rock, and it is deep. If you have time, go on Hulu and watch some Fraggle Rock and tell me if it changes your life. Um, so this is Red Fraggle. She's a Fraggle. She lives in a Fraggle cave with all the Fraggles. And they steal radishes from giants. You guys are tuning out. You're like, what is he talking about? There's an episode called Mount Wonder. And Red Fraggle, she remembers this time when she was a kid when everything was fun and easy and everything was light. And she just remembers like, man, like right now, 
my life is full of stress and, and chaos. But when I was a kid, man, everything was about wonder, and it was amazing. And she sings this song called uh, Bring Back the Wonder. Um, and the lyrics go, bring back the season, bring back the time, bring back the wonder that used to be mine. Laughing and dancing, we lived in a glow. Bring back the wonder we knew long ago. Look it up on YouTube today if you want to shed a single tear because it's really sad. Um, here's the thing, guys. I love that line, bring back the wonder that we knew long ago. Humanity, long ago, walked with God in a perfect world. We saw his glory every day. We were with him. Man, that's the glory that I want. And we all know about little glories, but we're not very good with big glories. Like a little glory is like a really good concert. My wife and I are about to go to a really good concert by a band named Copeland that we grew up listening to, and we're just so excited. It's going to be glorious. There's going to be some glory there. Uh, a skateboard trick can be glorious. How many of you guys have ever seen a skateboard trick and thought, that was glorious? Anybody? Yeah. Ice cream, cookie dough ice cream can be glorious. A newborn baby can be glorious, but we need to wonder at the glory of God. We need to marvel at it. What do Marvel movies leave you doing? Marveling. <laughs> You marvel at the explosions and the superpowers and the heroes. Um, Pastor John Piper said this. He said, we want to feel something wonderful, and the best we can find is sitting in a dark theater staring at fake images on a screen. That hit me hard. Like, I, when I go to the theater, my wife and I go to theaters for different reasons. Um, when I go to a theater, it's because I want to see a movie that makes me marvel. I want to see explosions and lightsabers, and I want to be moved to tears. My wife wants to go to the movies because she really likes the seats at uh, the uh, new Edwards um, Regal. Yeah, the, with the recliners. Like, she's like, it's really hot in her house. Can we go to the movies? There's nothing good playing. I don't care. I just want to go see something in those nice recliners with the air conditioning. Anyway, that's completely off the point. I, I know exactly what they're saying. The reason I watch TV, the reason I play video games, the reason I go to the movies is because I want to see something that makes me just, uh, uh, just feel this amazingness. But God has that. When I read the Bible and I understand the big picture of the scriptures and how every story in the Bible points to God winning and rescuing and loving his people, man, it, it blows me away. I want to challenge you guys wonder and marvel at God this week. There are stories of astronauts who got saved from going into space. Once they got out of the Earth's atmosphere and they looked down at the world and they saw space and the world floating there, they're like, there has to be a God. How could I deny that for so long? You and I have God's spirit in our heart. How much more should we marvel than an astronaut seeing Earth from space? Here's the last thing I'll say. Look at verses four through five. Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world began. Why does Jesus want to be glorified? At the end of this chapter, we're wrapping up. Why did Jesus want to be glorified? Is it because he wanted attention? Like when you think of someone saying like, I did it for the glory. I just want the glory. Give me the glory. Is that what Jesus is saying? Does he just want attention? Well, no, he's not selfish. He's a loving God. So then why is he always wanting to be glorified? 
Well, when he's saying, Lord, glorify me with the glory I had before the world began, what is he saying? Is he saying, Lord, I hate this world. I want things to be the way they were before you sent me here. Get me out of this place. I want to be important. I want attention like I got back in heaven when the angels sat around the throne and worshiped me. No, not at all. That's not what he's saying. To glorify something is simply to reveal its true glory to people who can't see it. That's what it means, to glorify something. Jesus had been on this undercover mission during this time he was trying to rescue the world, and he wasn't allowing himself to fully be glorified. He's this amazing, glorious, like just fantastic God, and yet he would heal people, and people would be like, oh, I'm going to tell everyone, and Jesus is like, not yet, not yet, not yet. It's not time. It's not time for people to see me for who I really am. But now, John 17, where we are, the time has come for God to reveal his great glory. The heaviness and amazingness and beauty and power that existed before the world began is now going to be seen on the cross. Why does God want the world to see his heavy, kavod, glory? It's simply because God wants people to know him. That's why. That's why God wants worship. That's why God wants to be glorified. It's not because he's selfish. If you've ever thought that, like, why does God always want us to worship him? It's because he wants to be known. And when we worship him, when you worship God with your actions, by loving your family, by witnessing, by giving money to a homeless man, by sitting down with that friend at the lunch table this school year who has no friends, That's worship. Worship is not just sitting and standing and raising your hands. Worship is how you live your life. And when you worship and live your life in a worshipful way, you glorify God, not to just give him attention and praise. So he goes, yes, I am awesome. Ha, 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 ha. No, it's because he wants people to know him. And when you live like Jesus, you show people who Jesus is, and then people know Jesus because you are showing them who he is. There was never a place where God made the statement he loves people and wants people to know him more than he did on the cross. There was never a more beautiful display of God's glory and beauty than on the cross. Father and son agonizing together for people who don't truly know them because they love people enough to make a way for those people to know him. Nothing compares to the terrible, glorious beauty of the cross. So as I close, um, the question is, how can we glorify God? That could be a whole nother study. It's not going to be. Think of it just like this. The phrase, give glory to God. You guys have all heard that statement, right? Give glory to God. Give glory to God. Um, Athletes, celebrities, actors, they all make that statement. They go up, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah, I dunked that ball. But, you know, all glory to God. That We kind of think of it as just like an afterthought, just a statement we make. The phrase, give glory to God, it's a Hebrew phrase, and it means confess your sins. That's what it means. To give glory to God is to confess. It's to say, God, I'm nothing. I can't do it without you. Not, yeah, I'm awesome, but you know, I mean, all glory to God. He made me. I mean, check me out. I'm pretty awesome. God made me, you know. No, to give glory to God is to confess your sins before him, to lay yourself down and say, God, here's where I'm messing up. Here's where I'm failing. I need you. So as we pray, and break up into small groups, let's have a heart of worship that we'll be honest with God about who we are because he can handle your problems. He can handle your mistakes. He loves you, and he wants you to know him, and he wants to be known.
by you. Let's pray. God, I ask that in this time, you would glorify yourself. Lord, by glorifying yourself, you make yourself known to us. And God, some of us, and myself included, we're Christians. We've grown up our whole life in the church, but so many times we don't truly see you for who we are, for who you are. We don't see you the way you're meant to be seen. God, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to us today through one another, because that's how you do it, God. You're not here in person anymore, but you've filled us with your spirit. So as we love one another in this group, as we share with one another, as we're open and honest and we ask for prayer, God, help us to glorify you and reveal you to one another. We love you, God, and we ask this in your name. Amen.